You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Before we get to this week's episode of Assembly Call Radio, a quick word from this week's sponsor, SeatGeek. As you know by now, buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There is nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I hope by now that you do as well. Uh, and it is by far the easiest way that I have found to shop for tickets because I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I have used SeatGeek to buy Mavericks tickets to go see Yogi play. I've used it to buy Rangers tickets. I've used it to buy Ed Sheeran concert tickets for my wife. Uh, use it to buy IU tickets. And you can too. You'll find IU basketball tickets on there, IU football tickets, uh, and any type of live event pretty much that you want, you will find on SeatGeek. And I highly recommend the app because it does make it so convenient. And that's the thing about SeatGeek is it is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. And they save you time and money because they search multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And best of all, because you are an Assembly Call listener, you get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, promo code ASSEMBLY, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 84th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 415th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, July 12th, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. This week's banner moment hit me on Wednesday afternoon as I reflected on a conversation that I had with the great Bill Murphy for Tuesday's edition of Podcast on the Brink, which was about Branch McCracken and the 1940 and 1953 national championship teams. I did a quick bit of research and realized a couple of things. Point number one, 14 coaches have won multiple national titles. Only two schools have employed two of those coaches. One is North Carolina. Roy Williams has three. Dean Smith has two. The other is Indiana. Bob Knight with his three, of course, and Branch McCracken with those two. Point number two, 15 schools have won multiple national titles. Only two of those schools, Kentucky and North Carolina, have won national titles in five different decades, which obviously shows incredible program strength and longevity. 
Only one other school has won a national title in four different decades. It's not Kansas. It's not UCLA. It's not Duke. It's Indiana. The 40s, 50s, 70s, and 80s. And when you consider the greatness of the 1960 team, the 92 and 93 teams, the 2002 team, and the 2013 team, Indiana has actually produced teams that you could reasonably argue had a legit chance to win a title in every single decade since the NCAA started awarding national championships. That is remarkable. So what do these numbers tell us, if anything? Well, nothing that we don't already know. But they do remind us of something worthwhile as we sit here in the heat of summer and as the 1987 title continues to get further and further in the rearview. There has always been something special about college basketball in Bloomington, Indiana, and this remains among the most important reasons to believe that we aren't that far from having something special in Bloomington again. Because no matter how far things may feel like they have dipped, just like they did in the mid-60s and like they did again in the mid to late aughts, great coaches and great teams have always ended up being right around the corner. So while any debate about whether Indiana is an elite program right now is a pretty simple one, no, of course we're not, the recent results speak for themselves, it's important to never forget that very few programs have proven their resiliency and longevity time and again like Indiana has. And it certainly feels like we may be approaching one of those corners that this program always seems to find and turn, one with an elite team, maybe even an elite coach, on the other side, ready to write the next great chapter in this storied program's history. For now, we just have to keep the faith. History tells us that it's usually not too long before that faith is rewarded. Okay, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left, he is the Greg Popovich of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati. He is the President Emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and he is one of the world's most renowned bracketologists. Andy Bottoms, the nation's most accomplished bracketologist. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your Bottoms line from the past week in Indiana basketball? Uh, I feel like that drop might be outdated, and you can only play that when Tonsoni's not on. So good, good <laughs> use of that now. Um, no, you know, w- when I think about what you just talked about, and and maybe you know things getting ready to turn a corner, I think the importance of the recruiting period that's coming up right now will go a long way toward determining that. Uh, it's been the subject of uh, of mind your banners this week, and they had Brian Snow on and was talking a little bit about you know, how this class might differ from, from the one that's, uh, you know, just enrolling now and getting ready to start. Whereas that class was very foundational, a lot of long-term guys, uh, really with the exception of, of Romeo. And then, you know, how this one will be obviously a smaller class, but also one that, you know, maybe trying to, to pick some more stars and have a little bit more star power now that you've got that foundation. And so, uh, it remains to be seen what combination of guys that are high on IU's radar at this point um, that will actually be there. But uh, given the position, it, it seems that they're in with a number of the top guys. I think you could see uh, while a really small, you know, while it's going to be a really small class, um, one that is going to be really high level uh, in terms of the uh, in terms of the recruiting rankings and those kinds of things, and and obviously. You know, Coach Miller's starting to think about what holes there are to fill. But I think an exciting time as you start to figure out, you know, how close is this year's team getting to, you know, turning that proverbial corner that you talked about? And and how does this recruiting class help push that even further along? And to my right, he's a columnist for the big lead. He's a co-host of The Hangover. And he is a man who was given a special invitation to the upcoming private Trump-Putin meeting in Helsinki so that he could be America's eyes and ears and record the discussion so it could be posted as a podcast for all to hear. But he turned it down because he refuses to manage any technical elements of a podcast recording. Not my job, folks. 
He is Ryan Phillips. I wrote about it a little bit this week. Let me say that Coach K has done a lot for charity. I really wish I would have been at the NFL Combine because I think I could have clocked like a four or five. I pretty much have an opinion on everything. Ryan, what is your IU basketball rant this week? I'll give you credit. The uh, the Trump-Putin thing with the no podcast. Yeah, that was good. I'll give you that. For once, I'm, I'm on board with an intro. You're absolutely right. I refuse to do anything associated with technical stuff. Even for my, that, uh, my surely. co-hosts uh, on The Hangover, uh, 9, 9 to 11 Pacific on uh, the Mighty 1090 in San Diego. Yeah, everybody in, everybody in Indianapolis. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you can stream it online or get the Mighty 1090 app. It's... Uh, yeah, yeah, it gives Jared a hard time about dropping names. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, why do you think? Where do you think I learned it, Andy? Where do you think I learned it? Every week, a podcast on the brink drop in the uh, in the intro. Uh, I think that's my rant this week is <laughs> is that. Uh, but yeah, my uh, my co-hosts are starting to learn my lack of desire to learn the technical side of things. It'll be fun. You guys, you guys can hang out. Um, I guess what I would just piggyback on what Andy said about recruiting and, and you're talking about the development of a team. And I think that you know you're at a good spot as a program where you're picking and choosing recruits instead of chasing recruits. And, and that's, I think, when you know you're starting to settle into a point where people are considering you an elite program again. Recruits are. And that, that's what it matters. I don't care what pundits say. I don't care what... Uh, fans of teams say about whether you're a lead or not. If the players think that this is a destination program, that's a huge deal. Players, coaches, you know, assistants, whatever. If they think that this is a destination program and the facilities and where the, where the team's headed and where, how the development process is, if, if players think that that's what matters. And currently you're seeing with Archie Miller and this staff that players are responding to that. Now, do they commit? We don't know yet. That, there's a long way off for this class. We had a great, he had a great class last year. We, we figured that much that those guys all feel this is a destination program. Now you're looking at some, a lot of highly rated recruits who are looking at taking Indiana very seriously, where maybe a few years ago they, they wouldn't have, and they would have looked elsewhere first. When you're starting to pick and choose and you've got too many guys wanting to commit, for how many spots you have, that's when you know you're doing well. And, and you see this with Alabama in football. And I'm sure Kentucky and Duke and other teams in basketball have that problem as well. It's a good problem to have. You have to pick the guys. Because the guys that you say, eh, we don't have any room for you, you got to hope that they don't turn out to be better than the guys you pick. So <laughs> Because you know, you've got to make the right decision there. But at the same time, that's a good problem to have, especially if you have faith in your talent evaluators and your development uh, staff. So I, I just think that you know you're getting to a good point as a program where you're picking and choosing among elite recruits who's going to be there. I do agree. I think that this next recruiting class is going to be more of an immediate impact recruiting class. I'm not sure they're going to be one and done guys, but I think that they are going to be less of a foundational class and more of a fill holes at a really high level type guys as opposed to bring guys in you're going to build with. Um, I think you do, as we've discussed many times, you do need both kinds of players in your program. But Indiana got a lot of those guys with this recruiting class that will, that is on campus now. And, and I think that next year, you're going to start seeing some of those guys who are just going to be plug in and play and, and not be a long-term development project.
All right, here's what we are going to do this week. We will start with a quick recruiting update, and then we turn the show over to you. We're making this an Ask Us Anything episode, and you did via Slack and Facebook and Twitter. So we have organized this entire show around your questions. A lot of good ones came in. Uh, Bart Torvik's preseason statistical projections are out. Someone asked us to play over-under with some of the more interesting projections. We will do that. Then we talk a little bit of IU history. Who is the most underrated slash underappreciated player of the last 25 years? This one was fun to research. We'll talk about that. And then we answer some questions about ourselves that you asked, including one about Ryan and Coach K uh, that you won't want to miss. All of that coming here on Assembly Call Radio. Uh, we're running a little bit uh, uh, kind of low on time here, so I'm going to skip the normal ad portion. Just remember to bookmark iutickets.shop and iustore.shop when you want to buy tickets. When you want to buy IU gear, those are our affiliate links. So when you buy uh, your IU stuff, we will get credit and you'll get great prices uh, there at SeatGeek and the IU store. Um, so we will leave that there. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. And guys, let's hop in and talk a little bit more about recruiting because the July recruiting period has kicked off. Uh, This month is obviously a dead period, but there are uh, time periods for evaluations. And this weekend is the first one. Uh, The Peach Jam is going on, and a lot of IU targets are there. That is the Nike EYBL Finals. Trace Jackson Davis and Keon Brooks are there playing for Spies Indy Heat. Isaiah Stewart, Armand Franklin, Brandon Newman, and others are there as well. So That is where pretty much all the coaches are, all of the who's who in college basketball. And interestingly, I saw a few reports on Twitter that Chris Holtman is at the Peach Jam, the coach of Ohio State. Now, what makes that notable is that DJ Carton, IU guard target for the class of 2019, is on his official visit to Ohio State right now. So, Ryan, what do you read into that, that Chris Holtman is at the Peach Jam when DJ Carton is there in Columbus on his official visit? That doesn't seem like a very good sign uh, that maybe Ohio State feels like they have a great shot with DJ Carton. I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you never know what these guys... I mean, it could be... I don't know how many times Carton's been to Ohio State. It could be that he's been there enough with the coaching staff that now he's just going and seeing the tutors and getting the tours of the school and getting the official look. I I don't know. Uh, I mean, certainly that doesn't seem like a great thing, but I, all along I've heard for Carton that it that it was a, it was a heavy Michigan lean for a long time, and then Indiana sort of come in, and it it's been feeling like it's Michigan and Indiana. I, I I don't know what that means for Ohio State's chances. It seems odd that that would happen, but clearly whatever's going on with Ohio State, if they brought him in for an official visit, they think they have a chance at him. So whatever they're doing, there's a reason for it. Um, but I, it just, I, I it just seems I, like an odd time to have an official visit. Yeah, it really does. No, for for really for both parties. I mean, for the player and the staff. Well, I mean, it's clear. I mean, and you read in DJ's uh, comments to Alex over at Inside the Hall, like his mom. I mean, they are ready for this decision to be over. Like he's looking to make a quick decision. So I think that's why he squeezed in this one one more trip. I, I've heard the same thing you have, Ryan. That it's it's he's, you know the, probably Michigan in the lead, Indiana kind of right there maybe Ohio State. So it's kind of to get that one last look. And it sounds like he wants to wrap this up within the next week or two. So I think that's why that makes sense. It look, some kids are built for a long recruitment. They love the drama. They love the the back and forth and they love the, you know, teasing fan bases and enjoying on social media. And hey, that's the right. You know, it's the one time they get to do this in their lives unless they're a LeBron level basketball player and can do a decision thing, you know, or, or whatever. I mean, they, they how often do you get to have so many people just want you to be at their school or at their city or whatever. It's it's a special thing for a kid to feel that. So I don't mind when kids draw out their recruitment and, and then get it over with. Uh, 
I do appreciate when they kind of, I mean, look, Romeo Langford drew his out a really long time, but it was different. He wasn't playing the game. He wasn't teasing things on social media and putting it out there. He just had a tough time with that decision. And so much had changed over the course of last summer that or last off season, I guess I should say that it really changed the landscape of his recruitment. I think he needed extra time. A lot of these guys have been to all these schools. They know all the coaches, they know all the players, they travel so much with AAU anyway. They have an idea what part of the country they want to be in, and especially with basketball. I think that it's a much easier decision for some of these guys. They know way ahead of time. I think with football, a lot of kids develop between their junior and senior years and maybe their sophomore and junior years. And so they're not, you know, they don't come on the radar until much later because you grow physically in those times. Whereas a lot of these basketball players, these coaches have known about them since seventh, eighth, ninth grade. So, it, there's a lot more time to connect with these kids. Whereas with football, it's really packed into that last year and last year and a half, maybe of high school. And this is a situation where these guys have been around forever and they kind of know the deal. And, and I think that's why you see a lot of guys in basketball commit early. They know what's going on. They know where they're going. Unless there's a coaching change or some crazy thing happens, they pretty much have it narrowed down by the time they enter their senior year. Whereas I feel like with football, it's wide open for most of these guys. Well, you know, look, DJ Carton is the first big domino that is likely to fall for this class. And as Joel mentioned in a question, guards, 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 guards win in college basketball and IU only has four with the Carton uh, commitment most likely coming soon. If I if he doesn't pick IU, who is the next 2019 guard that Archie should be looking at? You know, Indiana is already looking at a lot of them. Armand Franklin yeah. and Brandon Newman uh, from in-state. They have offers. Other guys like Anthony Harris, Jamius Ramsey, Kira Lewis. They're out-of-state guys, so they're less likely, but they have offers. And uh, Andy, on the podcast, you mentioned uh, Mind Your Banners uh, with our friends Zach Osterman and Chronic Hoosier, which everybody should listen to. It's a great podcast. Uh, they had Brian Snow on. He mentioned Harlan Beverly as another name that could pop up uh, you know, on Indiana's radar, especially if DJ Carton goes elsewhere. So I think if DJ Carton picks Indiana, then, you know, I think a lot of those names fall by the wayside because that spot is taken. If he doesn't, now you're going to see Indiana really reach out and prioritize some of these other guys because we absolutely have to have a ball handler uh, in this next class. So, you know what? I I was just thinking about this about, you know, if DJ Carton, uh, because I was, what I was thinking is you're saying if DJ Carton commits now, that spot's taken, you, you don't have to, to discuss it. Well, in basketball, you almost never see guys decommit like that. Once they commit, they're, they're locked in again, because they've known for so long what the deal is in football guys decommit. It feels like every month to a different school. So yeah, uh, I, I just think that you're right. I don't even think they need, I mean, it's good to keep in contact with those backup options in case something crazy happens, but if they get carton, I think that the guard recruiting is done for this class. Andy, do you have any final thoughts on the guard recruiting? No, I mean, I'd, I would really echo what Ryan said. I think they've done a good job of staying close enough to guys that are, you know, Carton, I think it's been pretty clear as the number one option, but I think they've kept enough other guys around. And I think it'll be interesting to see if he doesn't, you know, kind of who, uh, who their focus shifts to while they'll continue to keep in contact with all those guys. They'll probably, you know, kind of reset priorities and say, all right, now this is the guy we want to get. And it'll be interesting to see of that list of names that you mentioned, who, uh, who kind of rises to that level. Yep. All right, well, coming up, we continue answering your questions, beginning with Bart Torvik's preseason player projections. Most of them are pretty much what you would expect, but a few warrant closer inspection. We go over-under on the most controversial of them. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call.
You are listening to The Assembly Call. If you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of Assembly Call Radio, there are two great ways to catch up. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Assembly Call. Or you can watch our live video broadcast on Thursday night and participate in the live chat on YouTube. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, go to youtube.com slash Assembly Call. I am Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. And this week's episode is our Ask Us Anything episode. And so we're using the whole episode to answer your questions. And we got this question from Matt in our Slack channel. He says, would you take the over-under for each of Bart Torvik's player projections for our guys? And so a friend of the show, Bart Torvik, um, his site, barttorvik.com, definitely an advanced stat site that we recommend that you should check out. He's got his preseason projections up for the entire Big Ten. Um, Most of Indiana's projections are what you would expect. Now, Before we get into this, it should be noted that he does not have projections up for Race Thompson, Clifton Moore, Demise Anderson, and Jake Forrester. So just know that as we talk about, you know, minutes percentage and that kind of thing. Obviously, Race is a guy that we expect, you know, of those four guys to play a pretty big role. Um, So he is not included in there. Um, So just know that. And before we get to that, to kind of frame this, and Andy, I'll start with you. This is a question that uh, the coach, Brian Tonsoni, submitted because this is obviously going to impact, you know, the percent of, percentage of minutes that guys play, you know, the point and rebound totals. What is your ideal player rotation number-wise? Is it 8? Is it 9? Is it 10? And what factors play a role? And interestingly, he says, is this different as a fan? Do you want to see more players play? Obviously, Andy, as the person who does the substitution analysis, you know, you just want it to be as simple and straightforward yeah, as possible. Yeah, just, yeah. just play all guys 40 minutes. But um, <laughs> but what do you, what is ideal for you? Both, you know, as someone who wants Indiana to win and also just as a fan watching the games. Uh, nine kind of feels like the the sweet spot. I think it, it, it does depend on a few things. Certainly depends on the pace that you want to play. Uh, and then I think secondarily, it depends a lot on the versatility of the guys that you have. And I think that's where IU becomes a little bit hard. Even when you kind of go back to that guard question, you've got a number of guys who, depending on what happens and how they develop, could play some guard that maybe y- you wouldn't expect in that spot. So I do think IU has a lot of interchangeable guys and and some options to play different lineups just with the you know the kinds of players that Archie seems to be recruiting. So I'd probably settle on about nine. Um, I mean, for me, yeah, it's great to see guys play, but I also, as a fan, want to see the continuity that takes place when you have a relatively short rotation um, and not guys kind of yo-yoing in and out just for the sake of getting guys minutes and, and kind of making somebody feel better. So I, I'd probably land more in the eight or nine uh, type range if you felt like you had a number of strong guys. And I think that's where you really want to end up. I think you you would expect to see more early in the season as you start to work things out. But I think a team that's kind of hit its stride has a pretty good handle on its core eight, nine guys. And, and you know night in, night out what those guys are going to do somewhat you know, ideally somewhat similar to what you'd see in the NBA where there's a pretty defined first, second unit kind of guys that bridge the gap as quarters change over and things like that. All right. So let's let's start our over-unders here with a guy that we know, whatever the rotation number is, this guy is going to feature prominently in it, even though he's a freshman. That is Romeo Langford. So the projections here have Romeo playing 74% of the minutes with a 22% usage rate and scoring 14.6 points per game. My question to you, Andy, is would you take the under on any of those? Because my first thought when I looked at those is that they all seemed low for what I expect from Romeo this year. So what would you say? Uh, I The only one I would probably even consider taking the under on would be the rebound numbers, but the others I would I would be in, in your camp. I mean, to think that, you know, 74%, you're right around 30 minutes a game. I think that's, I think you'd go walk up to anybody and ask if they thought he was going to play 30 minutes a game. The answer would be yes. I'd say under on the minutes. Really? 
under seventy four percent. You cannot walk up to anybody and ask that question. Yeah, because I think uh, I don't know. I get a feeling that they're going to rotate a lot, especially early in the season. Maybe by the end of the season, he'll be playing those percentage. But for the entire season, I think he'll be just under that. I'd put him at like seventy. So, wow. so like, I, I think that's a good number, seventy four. I think that's right about. But I think it'll be it'll actually wind up being a little bit less based on you know, it, it, the whole season. But I do think if you took, if you were just doing the big 10, I might agree with 74% or a little over, hmm, okay. but for the whole season, I would say under. Interesting. All right. Uh, Devonte green, he has playing 63% <clears throat> of minutes. Devonte played 55.5% last year. Ryan, would you go over under 63% of minutes for Devonte green? <sighs> I'd, I'd put him at like 65. So, so you'd I go guess over. That, that would be over. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm again, I'm fine. This is a good projection. I'm fine with the push here. Uh, you know, just kind of agreeing with it. Uh, I do think of the numbers he lists, I think his assists will be higher. I agree because he has him at 2.5 and he averaged 2.5 last year. And he's going to so. start this year and play a lot more, I think. So, yep. I, I sure hope that. I sure hope the assist yeah. numbers are Yeah, I know. I mean, that's, you know, minutes per game. That's like 25 minutes a game. I think that the 63%. So, I mean, in I I kind of view these in my head as I, I project and look at it that way. I'm like, well, what would it say if he got more or less than that? And I think certainly if he got more, it's probably a good sign for IU because he's really settled into that role. I don't know that he would get more just because nobody else had 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 been had emerged as a viable option. So I guess I'm hoping for for over on that just because I think that would be a good sign for the team. Uh, I think if he ends up much under that barring an injury uh that probably isn't necessarily a reassuring feeling for how the season might be going now bart projects uh, deron davis to play 65 percent of minutes score 11 points per game and average 6.4 rebounds you know and and i tweeted and asked him how he projects a guy like deron who's coming off an injury and who we don't really know when he's going to be able to play and you know he essentially said i mean it's kind of a guess i mean he tries to you know, adjust for certain things. But let me use this, Ryan, to ask you this question from Josh, because we've talked about on here, you know, we don't really know what to expect from Duran. We're not really expecting anything from him until January. You know, is it crazy to think that redshirting Duran this year would be best? Give him a whole year to work on his body to get healthy. I love the idea of what he could be if 100% would hate to see a year of eligibility wasted if he's not completely ready. Do you think at all that could be a possibility? Yeah, I absolutely do. I've been saying that for a long time. I think that the Achilles is a really difficult injury to come back from. A lot of guys who come back from it right around when they're supposed to, you know, if it's like a nine-month, year-long thing, wind up with other injuries because they don't trust it and they're overcompensating. And and they wind up hurting themselves in another way. It's usually a minor injury, but still, then you're dragging that injury around along with this one. I... I don't know. I, I think that it, it might wind up being the smartest thing, especially if the, some of these young guys step up and you have a race Thompson or a Justin Forrester or a Clifton Moore play well, then you can. I, I, and again, I think it's going to have a lot to do with that more so than how healthy Duran is, because I think Duran's going to want to come back, of course. But I, I think it might not even be about preserving the year of eligibility for Duran. It might be just, it's not smart to rush back from that kind of injury. And Achilles is devastating. There is no more difficult injury for a basketball player or a tennis player or, you know, anybody who uses quick movements with their, uh, you know, their lower body and like ankles and below the knee, basically you use quick movements with that part of your body. There is no more devastating injury than 
uh, an Achilles. And so I think that it need, they need to be extremely careful with him and bring him back slowly. So I would give that minutes projection a, a, a huge under. I, yeah, I, I, I think too. if he, I think if he comes back, it's because he's practicing. They're insanely impressed with him in practice and saying, we can't not be without this guy. If we want to make an NCAA tournament run because he's that good. And he, you know, adds another star. If he's not at that level and he's just working his way back, I, I think they should let him sit the year. But again, I'm not in there. I don't know what his progress is like. That's just my assumption based on other Achilles injuries I've seen. Yeah. You're listening to Assembly Call Radio. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bimes and Ryan Phillips doing some over-unders on the preseason player projections at, uh, at Bart Torvik's website. Andy, let me ask you about Juwan Morgan. Uh, the projections here, 16.5 points, 7.7 rebounds, very, very similar to last year when Juwan averaged 16.5, 7.4. Obviously, he's got a lot more talent around him, guys like Romeo Langford who will be taking shots. Do you take the over the under on those two numbers, or do you think, you know, do you think Juwan will improve those numbers, uh, be the same, or, or even be less this year? Uh, the, the, I could see the rebounds being a little bit higher, um, or right around there. I mean, I think those are Same both, here. I, I think points wise, I could see that being a little bit lower. I just think you're going to have a team that has more weapons that has, um, you, you know, a guy like Romeo to take some attention away. And if he's going to use as many possessions as we think he is, um, I wouldn't be shocked to see Juwan's points dip a little bit, but I don't necessarily, you know, kind of in the way that I tried to put the Devante numbers into context. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing to me. If you came and said Juwan's averaging 15 points and eight rebounds a game, I wouldn't say, oh, wow, he's not scoring as much as he did last year. That's a bad sign. Uh, I wouldn't say that at all. So I could see that dipping a little bit just because I think there are a, a wider variety of offensive weapons on this year's team compared to last. I agree. Uh, there, there were times last year where if Juwan didn't take the game over, who was going to? And I think this year there's so many more options. I could see, I could see his points per per game going down, his rebounds going up, and I could see him winning Big Ten of the year, Player of the Year, looking like he had a worse season. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I could see a scenario where that happens. Like we said, there were times, like basically every game. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I was trying to be except, well, that, except for when Robert Johnson hit nine three pointers between the beginning and the end of the game. Yes, yeah. it was just <laughs> yes. All right, a couple quick ones. Uh, Ryan over under Justin Smith ten points per game. He averaged six and a half last year. Ooh, that's a tough one uh, because I could see ten points a game if he's if he's getting what the projections are ten points five rebounds. I'm thrilled for the year. But I could see Justin going over that. I mean, I'm thrilled because I, I'm assuming what the other guys will score, like Romeo yeah. and Juwan and, you know, even Devontae and Finnessy. So I, I'll, I'm going to call that one again a push. I think that's a great projection. I could see maybe a little higher, but I'm going to call that a push. Ryan's commentary, a great advertisement for Bart Torvik's projections. There you go. I, I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, okay, a couple more quick Not ones. Not great gambling advice to go with the push on <laughs> yeah. multiple occasions. Yeah. Hey, that's why I don't gamble. Uh, Andy, uh, Zach McRoberts over under 34% of the minutes. Uh, I mean, I would, I would tend to say over, um, yeah, I'm trying to think back. So I don't contradict myself from what I think. Cause we talked about when we did Justin's preview of like, of his, I, I think I would, I would definitely say over on minutes for McRoberts. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say over. All right. Another quick one, uh, over under Jerome Hunter, 22% of minutes. I would I'm hammer saying, the over, over on that. <laughs> yeah. Hammer the over. Yes. I would. Big too. time. Okay, uh, so let me get to a quick question. This is from Chaz. So he says, Juwan and McBob lead by example, but don't seem very vocal. Devonte has trouble staying on the floor. Justin Smith and Al still developing. Deron Davis still injured. Evan is new. Romeo seems quiet. With Robert Johnson gone, who will step up as the vocal leader when the going gets tough? 
There I'm are a not, couple I'm not entirely sure there, Robert Johnson. Well, th- that's what I want to say. There's a couple <laughs> premises here that I think are off. Number one being the assumption that Robert Johnson was the vocal leader. I think he was a great leader by example, not necessarily vocal leader. And I don't know that I necessarily buy that Juwan Morgan isn't a vocal leader. Uh, I think you know, you, especially what we saw just from like the pool video and some of the other things that you see. Maybe if he didn't do it as much last year, to me, he is the obvious guy that will step up and be the leader. I think that's why he came back. I think he's ready for that role as a senior. Um, so if he hasn't seemed that vocal in the past, I think that's something that we'll see a lot more of this year. Well, let's remember, he's older, he's more mature, he's probably more comfortable as a, not just as a, a basketball player, but as a human being. He's got a new, like he's he's not, he doesn't have a new coach anymore. He's the older guy. I, I think that, and he's also probably got confidence in the guys around him, which makes you more comfortable speaking up if you know you're not going to hurt a guy's feelings. I mean, if, if you get in Romeo Lankford's, not get in his face, but if you tell Romeo Lankford, hey, man, you need to step up or whatever, a guy with the work ethic of Romeo Lankford and, and with his experience is going to be like, oh, yeah, okay. He's not going to take it, you know, go into a shell. Last year, I felt like that whole team would go into a shell when things would go badly. So I, I also think that as a vocal leader, he's going to have more receptive guys at his disposal as opposed to just, you know, flowers that wilt. Yeah, as soon as they get talked to. Andy, would you like to defend the honor of Robert Johnson? Uh, I, I thought that same part about that question. I, I ne- he never struck me as a vocal guy. He was no. very much a lead by example uh, type of guy. And I think that's what Juwan probably has been, although I think he exhibited some leadership behavior as the season went on when he was the guy, you know, standing in front of the press a lot of the times. And, uh, you know, after tough games, after losses, after, you know, rough performances was always a, a stand-up guy in that regard. I think, you know, again, uh, let let us both read a lot into a, a one minute video of guys playing basketball in a pool. Um, but <laughs> he's summer. This is what you do the, in the uh, summer. Yeah, he certainly. Yeah, there's a weird sense. Um, so <laughs> he seemed like the alpha dog in that. He video, definitely did. He seemed exactly like the dad. He absolutely seemed like the like yeah. the alpha. And I think um, that was something. When, when you think back to comments he made even before he came to IU. Um, was something that that you know I still think about in the way he handled that. So I think he will be the unquestioned leader vocally and in and in every other way. Yep. Here's my here's my way to look at a vocal leader because we don't get to go in the locker room. We don't get to see behind the scenes. I think the biggest clue to who the vocal leader is is when they huddle up after a foul and they're about to head to the free throw line and who, who's the guy that's grabbing everybody? It's hey, get in here real quick. Like that's the guy and it doesn't have to be screaming at players. It doesn't have to be pointing them to positions, but if he's the guy who can pull everyone together and they all look at him, that's the vocal leader. And that's just the leader in general, whether vocal or not. Al Durham, I, and I think, Al Durham has some of that in him. He tried, he to does, put, but now, now last year as a freshman, not a lot of guys were looking at him, but he's got that naturally. So I think as he gets older, he'll be another guy who is probably comfortable doing that, which will be, which is a good sign. You need a lot of, guys I'd agree. But Al, Al is certainly vocal. He, he is yeah. not shy. I will say that. Yep. All right. Coming up on the assembly call, we continue our Ask Us Anything episode. So far, we have looked at the present and the future of IU basketball. Now let's take a look back into IU's past, starting with our picks for the most underrated players of the past 25 years. There are certainly plenty to choose from. Will Ryan pick Marco Killingsworth or Will Sheehy? Find out next. Stick with us.
Welcome back. You are listening to The Assembly Call. So here is a little fun fact for you. We have over 5,700 IU fans from around the globe who subscribe to our email newsletter. That is a high-level operation going on out there. And you can join, too. It is easy. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. You will get our weekly six-banner Sunday news roundups as well as our post-game analysis emails once the season begins. It is all free, and it will make you a smarter and more well-informed IU basketball fan. Again, go to assembly assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 and join for free today. Make no excuses. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, and we are doing an Ask Us Anything episode. So the entire episode, we are answering your questions, and we got this one from Craig, which is a really fun one. This was a fun one to go back and research. He says, who is the best player of the last 25 or so years that we have all mostly forgotten about or at least don't bring up as much as we should? And I saw someone in the YouTube chat that mentioned that his vote was Brian Evans. And I certainly think that you could make cases for guys like Brian Evans and Jared Jeffries and DJ White that, you know, those they were really, really good players. And, and we probably don't bring them up enough. But those guys also were all Big Ten players, MVPs. So I kind of thought it would be more fun to dig a little bit deeper. And to me, even guys like A.J. Moye and Tom Coverdale, while they might not have been you know, all conference-type players, they still get plenty of recognition and get brought up a lot. So I'm interested to hear, uh, Andy, your thoughts. And uh, Ryan, I think we all know who you're going to pick. Um, but here are two names that I thought of that, that really stuck out when I went back and looked through. Uh, because the cutoff, if you go back 25 years, is 93-94. One guy is Pat Graham. He was, you know, in that famed 1989 recruiting class with seven guys. He was one of the highest ranked guys in that class, uh, Mr. Basketball in Indiana. And, you know, he had such an injury reeled career that I think people sometimes forget how good he was when he did play, especially as a shooter. In 94, a team that made the Sweet 16, he shot 56.9% from three-point range. You know, and I always wonder, you know, if he had been healthy for the full 93 season, how much of an impact he could have made. So he was one guy that I thought of. But the, the biggest name for me is Jeff Newton. Jeff Newton, obviously a guy who was on the 2002 uh, national finalist team. He finished his career with 1,200 points. He is the career leader in block shots at 227. And when you think about iconic NCAA tournament moments, Jeff's 19 points, six boards, four blocks off the bench against Oklahoma in the Final Four that year was fantastic. And then, of course, he became a legend in Japan. And he's just one of the coolest, smoothest IU players ever. So to me, you look back to the last 25 years, I think he's the most underrated, underappreciated guy that should be talked about more. Uh, Andy, who would you say? Who would be your picks? Yeah, the, the Newton one was was interesting. I remember after that game, they had him on at like halftime of the games the following day, and he could not have been more uncomfortable being kind of on camera and in the spotlight. And it was like him and Mike Davis who both were like not like just didn't really want the attention in a lot of ways. And it was, a, I just remember being like a somewhat awkward interview, but I that performance was terrific. And Pat Graham, uh, I remember, I think it was the, the game that IU came out and played against Purdue after Alan Henderson had gotten hurt. And Pat Graham kind of unexpectedly came out and was in the warm-up line and, and played in that game uh, and kind of gave a little bit of a spark. I believe that was also the game that Greg Graham made all the uh, free throws. I may be mixing 26 that up. 26 out of 28. Um I can't remember stuff like Bill Murphy can about about games from Jeez, <laughs> 60 years man. ago. <laughs> but um, he's amazing. The, the couple guys that I thought of, one uh, kind of from you know my time at IU would be Michael Lewis uh, was the you know assist leader at IU you know until Yogi broke that a couple of years ago. Again, kind of a was a real scorer in high school uh, and really had to readapt how he played 
uh, in college, but was a, you know, just a fiery competitor. Uh, one of my favorite memories of him, uh, when Iowa would always press and, and kind of that guy would always be over the baseline, he just reared back two handed and drilled the ball right into Jacob Jakes's face. Um, <laughs> which anybody who watched Jacob Jakes play wanted to do the exact same thing. So, uh, he did that. And I get I, a guy, this is probably, I, this might be a stretch, but even a guy more recently, I would say Christian Watford is, is kind of yes. funny. Like everybody associates him with the watch shot, but when you look at how his numbers are improved huge. over the course of his career um, and was, you know, just played different roles as the team evolved during his time, I think is a guy who gets looked at very much for that uh, particular shot, but I think his career uh, probably deserves maybe a little bit more recognition for his his growth over his four years at IU than than maybe it deserves. Those are great yeah. choices, Andy. I, I would see Watford was probably going to be my pick um, if we're going with more recent. It, it's funny because if you look at Jordan Hulls and you look at Christian Watford, I would say Jordan Hulls is thought of more by Indiana fans as far as having a great career than Watford. Watford obviously has the big moment, but I think part of that is the fact that a lot of people in Indiana knew Jordan Hulls for years before he went to IU. So it feels like he was kind of like, we watched him grow up. Um, I mean, I remember covering him as a freshman and sophomore in, in high school <clears throat> and thinking this kid's going to be something big, which is funny because uh, Calvin Sampson didn't think so. But anyway, uh, yeah. enough of that. But uh, the guy I came up with, and I, of course I was thinking in terms of when I was at IU, but a guy that never gets talked about at all, it was Marshall Strickland. I mm. loved Marshall Strickland. I thought he was yeah. awesome. He, I mean, he's a thousand point scorer, eleven oh six for his career. He's a guy for the first three years of his career. He put his, like, I guess, like his career and ability on the back burner so that Bracy Wright could take all the shots and dominate the ball. And he was forced to play point guard when he was a shooting guard. And he did it, didn't complain, worked as hard as he could. Then his senior year, he finally got to play off the ball. He shot 47.9% from three-point range yeah. his senior year. He that was an 18-point jump from the year before. He uh, his field goal percentage went up 60 points. There uh, went up, you know, it's, it went up six full points. He was just a much better player his senior year when he got to play off the ball. And it makes you wonder, like, man, why were we forcing Bracey Wright as the as, for three years? I mean, Marshall Strickland could have had such a better career. Stop, stop and, trying to apply logic to the coaching decisions that were being I know. Made. Just, <laughs> Marshall also shot 89% from the free throw line his senior year. I mean, I just remember thinking that guy was so reliable and he had one of the prettiest jump shots I've ever seen in my entire life. He did. I loved watching him play. He was also a hell of a student, wanted to be a lawyer or a doctor. I mean, he was I don't know if he was an academic all-American, but he was up there, and he was like a guy with like a three nine GPA. He was just the 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 epitome of the kind of kid you'd want at IU. Uh, and he also, for his career, in from a sophomore year on, he averaged thirty three point six, thirty three point one, and thirty four point seven minutes per game. Dude was durable. Went out, put it all on the line, and just never got respect because he was on teams that weren't that great, and people just thought, you know, whenever you associated him with those teams, you just say, ugh. Uh, but my senior year was the year that uh, he really broke out. And I, it was his senior year as well. And I, I really loved the way he played. And that was back when practice was open. So you got to watch these guys and you just watched the way he handled himself in practice. He was, he was the consummate. I mean, I know he wasn't a professional, but you know, that he's consummate professional work ethic, everything. And he was a great interview. So I, I always loved him. We just put a nice little lineup together there. You got Michael Lewis at the point guard. Marshall Strickland at the two, Pat Graham, you know, is your shooter, Christian Watford, Jeff Newton. That lineup could do some damage. 
Not fun, bad. It's a fun Not little bad. team right there. Another guy, well, and one last guy, and you mentioned DJ White because he was the Big Ten Player of the Year gets overlooked, but he's a guy who does get overlooked. I mean, I think it, that's such a tough period of Indiana basketball that we overlook a lot of the guys in that period because we look at that whole 10-year stretch or eight-year stretch as, as a negative. And so you do kind of lose sight of guys and what they did in that period. So DJ yeah, that White's year sucked, one. but two of the top 50 players in the history of the program played on that team. Exactly. You know? <laughs> I mean, you don't. Yeah. But again, we just don't think about it because you it's such a negative. To. Yeah. The way it turned out was so negative. But but DJ White's certainly one of those guys. You're listening to Assembly Call Radio. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. All right. We've got a few more of these. Let's, let's kind of go through these quickly. So this is from Alex. He says, what IU moment would you go back in time to attend? I'll give you two real quick. One would be Bill Garrett's final home game in 1951. The standing ovation that he got. Would have loved to be there for that. And then here's my other one. Saturday, January 25th, 1975. Indiana beat number 20 Purdue, 104-71. Indiana, of course, was ranked number one at the time. It would have been so fun to see the best IU team ever, which most people think that 74-75 team, even though they didn't win at all, was still better than the 76 team just because of the you know having Steve Green, having John Leskowski. But seeing that team play its best and destroying Purdue, I would have loved to go back and see that team play live. Andy, what moment would you go back to attend? Uh, well, so we're just saying go back to attend. Not necessarily has doesn't necessarily have to be before our lifetime. Is that fair no. or is that not? not no, you fair? could go back yeah, anytime. Anytime. Huh, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess it's probably a somewhat easy answer, but, uh, you know, to, to see the 76 championship game and kind of be there at the culmination of, you know, what those couple of years had been, um, probably also, and you were at this Jared, so you, you couldn't pick this, but watching Cheney break the record, I think would be, uh, would, would probably be the other one for me. That was amazing. I would say Killingsworth dunk. Know. That, well, that was one. No, that I was, was there. I was sitting next to Ryan. For Dude, the, but Ryan wants to go I'm back so, and watch himself react to the killings. I'm so, I want to watch from the. I want to watch from like a bird's eye view of the crowd because I still think the roof fell off the building. You can't convince me otherwise. Uh, no, that was that was honestly that was a cool game and a great moment, but they lost. Uh, one moment I would love to relive. I, I've got three answers to this. One personally, I'd love to go back and redo. Uh, my senior year, I bought my dad a ticket to the Purdue game. He had never been to IU, became the biggest IU fan. I had student tickets. I had a press pass, though, so I, I bought the student tickets. And that year, I had a floor seat to the Purdue game. He'd never been to an IU game. Took him to the Purdue game. And just seeing him, you know, kind of in heaven at IU was pretty awesome. That was yeah. January 21st, 2006, and they won 62-49. Uh, to take first to take over first place too. So it was loud. It was crazy. It was a typical IU Purdue game. Um, another one I would have loved to have been there for the watch shot. Uh, I, I just think, you know, at the time we thought that meant Indiana was back. It, we all did, and we all thought that was. And where were you for the watch shot? I was in Chicago <laughs> with an ex girlfriend in a hotel room, just hanging out. We yeah, that sound that sounds kind of. You know, she dodged a really big bullet there. Didn't she? <laughs> she did. She did. She did. <clears throat> Enough about that. Uh, Jared knows who it was, too. Uh, but then also, I, I would say one more would be the Keith Smart shot. I, I think that would have been awesome. I've never witnessed a national championship of a, of a team I like in person. So that would have been awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, one more here from Rob. What moment has made you the most emotional? I'll give you two. I still remember seeing the news tick across the TV screen that Alan Henderson injured his knee. 
that was crushing uh, to however old I was then, 11, 12 years old. That was absolutely crushing. Um, so that's certainly one. But then the other one would be Yogi making that three to beat Iowa because the roller coaster that that team went on and then for that crew to come back and win the Big Ten and for it to be Yogi, you know, who we had seen go through all four years. And, you know, we just kind of felt like we had that special relationship kind of with him as a player and for him to be the one that made that shot. Uh, that was I mean, I remember that show was, you know, an emotional one. Um, I was emotional for Doc, our friend. Yeah. Doc Libby. Yeah. So that on one on the bad side, one on the good side. Um, And obviously there are many games that we've been emotionally angry and mad, but (laughs) like, I don't know. (laughs) All of the final Tom Crean season. Um, <laughs> yeah, just go back and listen to those shows yeah. if you want your answer. Yeah. Although I don't know if we were so much emotional as just like blank. No, like, we were we were emotion... completely devoid of emotion, actually. <laughs> it was just kind of like you guys yeah, want to talk about really you bad. guys want to talk about anything else. <laughs> yeah. Um the time your dog died, that'd feel better. Yeah. What about Andy, you, Andy? Emotional moments. Uh, I would say uh, somewhat tied to the Henderson injury, even though I think you could still like, you know, still you you could let yourself believe that good things could happen that season. But I remember when, you know, Cheney like left the floor the last time in the tournament, knowing that like that was over uh, was an emotional one on the on the bad side, which was tied to tied to yours. Um, I mean, the other one I was I guess I was I was eight or nine years old. I mean, I remember the Keith Smart shot. I remember, you know, jumping around and, you know, hugging my dad and, and my mom and things like that. So I remember I remember that that would I guess that would be one. And then the comeback to beat Duke in, in 2002. I know you you kind of put it potentially in the notes. That's one where I live. I, I had been in Cincinnati not very long. And so there are a lot of Kentucky fans down here who obviously hate Duke. And, uh, and so I came into work the next day and people were like congratulating me as if I had won the game that they were just so happy that Duke had lost. So it was kind of a weird, I was like, yeah, thanks. I'm pretty, pretty tired from how hard I played in the game. Uh, I Maybe they thought you were Jared Odell. Every, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was real, real close. <laughs> Striking resemblance. I'm sure. My da- so. By the way, my dad just texted me that he enjoyed the IU versus Purdue game that I was just talking about. So he's currently listening and I didn't know. <laughs> oh, nice. uh, your, your emotional moment, Ryan. Uh, I think it was, this is related to the Yogi shot, but Tom Crean's speech after the, they won that game and clinched the the title for the same reasons you put out is that team went on a roller coaster. You're a champion. That, that speech is fantastic. I mean, regardless of what you think about Tom Crean now, obviously that is a beautiful speech and he, you can tell when he was giving it, he was speaking as much to himself as he was the team you know, for everything they'd been through. I, I'd say that's number one. Uh, and then a, I guess, not an IUBB one, but uh, an Indiana one oh. that, that made me as emotional was when I found out that Terry Hefner had passed away. Mm. That, those, those are my two IU sports moments that really got me emotionally. And, and to this day, I miss, I miss Coach Hep every day, man. That guy was so great. Yeah, I think you speak for all IU fans when you say that. No question about it. All right. Uh, Coming up in our final segment, we will answer more of your questions, as many as we have time for. How did Andy and Ryan become Hoosier fans? And we get to hear Ryan's answer about how he would handle being placed in an awkward, hypothetical situation with his coaching hero, Mike Krzyzewski. That and more coming up next. Stick with us.
You're listening to The Assembly Call. We are wrapping up another week of talking IU basketball and answering your questions. I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips and Andy Bottoms. We have an abbreviated final segment because we went a little long with our last segment. So let me go right to this question about Ryan and Coach K. So this question comes from Rob, Ryan, and I appreciate his, uh, his creativity here. So he says, Ryan wins a trip to his favorite place outside the country, but he has to sit both flights in a middle seat next to Coach K, main cabin, not first class. Does he take it? And if so, what conversation topics would he have for Coach K? No, I don't take it because, A, two reasons. One, I would get thrown off the plane for harassment. And two... Ma, he keeps calling me these names. <laughs> pretty much and two i can't fly longer than like four hours in a economy class seat because of my knees so i i, I can't I, I couldn't do it and i wouldn't be able to do that be in that much pain and sit next to coach k like it's just no 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 not happening Mm-mm. okay no. all right good good quick answer to that so let's go to james question real quick andy will go to you first what do you miss most uh, about bloomington besides going to the games um, boy, I mean, the games was, was a lot of it. I think Nick's would be a good answer to that question. Um, I, and really just, I mean, just being able to walk around the campus and, uh, you know, some of, some of those kinds of things. I don't, I wouldn't say that I miss classes uh, in, in any way, shape or form, certainly at this point, but, uh, I don't know, just, the, just the excitement around campus when something big was going on, um, mostly tied to sports, I guess, but, uh, I guess those would be a couple things I'd say. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Just the energy of game day, which you'll get on a lot of campuses, but obviously it's it's special for us. More than just going to the games, just the entire energy on campus. Ryan, quickly, anything for you? That- uh, I miss. I, I agree with Nick's. I miss going to lunch during the week at Nick's and just sitting there on the Wi-Fi, working or whatever, and just hanging out. I love the vibe of that place. Yep. All righty. Well, that will do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for assembly call wherever you listen to podcasts and don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join or text iu to 66866 to join our free email newsletter thank you for listening we'll be back to talk iu hoops again with you next week until then keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go hoosiers thank everybody for coming out all right i gotta get out of here folks thank you Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. 
So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.